0: I have had the most fascinating uh, encounters with individuals from all walks of life. uh, Camp from all walks of life. Uh, the The experiencer phenomena is not uh, specifically tied to any particular class or ethnicity. Uh, It is a widespread uh, phenomena that is bigger than those, you know, little small delineations. So for about the past dozen years I've been very active in this particular form of uh, hypnotherapy. I am also uh, the uh, for the Eastern Seaboard and for this part of Canada I am also the hypnotherapist that works in conjunction with MUFON.
1: Leslie Mitchell-Clark is a consulting hypnotist and a member of the National Guild of Hypnotists with a special certification in past life regression. Tonight we'll talk about hypnotic regression and her new book launch next week with co-author Wes Roberts. That and more coming right up on My Alien Life. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? my alien life is recorded live from atop the northern rocky mountains and is available on spotify stitcher itunes and everywhere fine podcasts are found my website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com there you will find my email address all previously recorded shows and more i am cameron brower this is my alien life and the podcast starts right now
0: my Little Life Podcast. Oh.
1: my alien life I'm Cameron Brower and with me tonight is the most talented guest I've been allowed to interview Leslie Mitchell Clark Leslie thank you for being here and welcome
0: Cameron thank you so very much for having me on your wonderful podcast I'm so excited to speak with
1: you I'm equally excited thanks for being here Um, Leslie you're a jazz musician singer actor author and a hypnotherapist now you have a book coming out with Wes Roberts called intersections a true story of extraterrestrial contact where do you get this new burst of energy and how can I get myself some?
0: <laughs> it's a rare thing. You well, know that. You, well, <laughs> well, thank you. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm like the goddess Shiva, like doing all of these things at maximum at all times. Or at the same time. Uh, kind of, <laughs> yes, it's kind of a little more linear than that, but um, actually about 12 years ago, um, after many years you know, in the entertainment business, particularly the music business, I just really felt a calling to uh, to do something else. And in my earlier life, I had, you know, quite a bit of uh, medical training. I was a psychiatric technician, which is kind of like a psychiatric nurse here in Canada. So uh, I knew I wanted to do something that would uh, be related to mental health care. So um, my husband, bless his heart, uh, he, he bought me... A um, past life regression session with a hypnotherapist that I did not study with but at any rate I went to her place and I had this process and to say it was life-changing for me would be you know really an underestimate it was it was profound uh, because it actually showed me what I wanted to do so I went back to school. I studied at the Ontario Center for Hypnosis, and and uh, I became a hypnotherapist. And then eventually, I was able to earn, you know, further credentials, and I became uh, certified in what we call uh, metaphysical hypnosis, which includes past life regression, interlife regression, which is fascinating, and also energy release. So um, I became interested in working with experiencers uh, really almost from the downbeat uh, in fact you know I had my own experience when I was uh, you know about 17 years old and it uh, fueled an interest in all of this that that is ongoing so what began happening is people just began coming to me uh, with repressed memories or missing time of what they believe to be extraterrestrial encounters. So I began working with these individuals and I eventually um, adapted past life regression techniques that I was taught by my mentor, Dr. Georgina Cannon. I eventually adapted these processes to, uh, to be utilized for the regression of possible experiencers. And since that time um, i have I have had the most fascinating uh encounters with individuals from all walks of life uh, cam from all walks of life uh, the The experiencer phenomena is not uh, specifically tied to any particular class or ethnicity Uh, it is a widespread uh, phenomena that is bigger than those you know little small delineations so for about the past dozen years i've been very active in this particular form of uh, hypnotherapy i am also uh, the uh, for the eastern seaboard and for this part of canada I am also the hypnotherapist that works in conjunction with MUFON. In other words, if someone reports an encounter or or suspected encounter or missing time or you name it, uh, I'm the person that will work with those individuals to hopefully recover the balance of their memory. I
1: want you to hold that thought for just a minute. And I know you're an amazing hypnotherapist and that's a logical place to start, but Since I actually have you here and your interests are so varied, I'd like to kind of start with you before hypnotherapy. What what was it like growing up? Um, I mean, you are so good at so many things. Why so many interests at an early age and and what started that?
0: Well, I would have to in part uh, part, uh, credit that to just from coming from a very, very highly artistic family. Um, my late father, uh, Gordon Whitey Mitchell was a Emmy-winning uh, television producer and writer, and, uh, he worked f- for many years with Norman Lear and, uh, wrote for All in the Family. Uh, he created The Jeffersons. He worked on Good Times. You, you name it. Uh, he had an Emmy for Mary Tyler Moore. So, my, my father was a creative figure. Uh, to me and also um, uh, you know even even peripheral to that my grandmother was a poet my grandfather was a uh, you know directed operas so we had a lot of uh, creative influences going in our family myself and my brother and my sister so I would say I grew up in a kind of a rarefied atmosphere in a way and uh, also in uh, in you know in in uh, in addition to that, my paternal grandmother, my Grammy Mitchell, uh, was extremely open to uh, metaphysical com- uh, concepts of all kinds. I think she herself was quite psychic, although she probably would not say that, being the modest person that she was. But uh, you know, I had many. Uh, interesting uh, spiritual experiences in her different homes and in her gardens, and they were magical places. So I think, uh, in my case, environment is part of it and also maybe a strong uh, genetic predisposition to do all of these different things.
1: So how do you think, you may know the answer to the question, I hope you do, that uh, your dad was a, a, a jazz bassist, a musician yeah. in the 50s and then he went on to write uh, get smart all in the family the jeffersons how how does that happen
0: well i think that my my dad was always you know the writer internally uh he was always uh uh funny and concerned with uh you know with with writing uh now i should say he he wrote quite a bit for Uh, various jazz magazines when he was uh, still a working musician and of course one of those was Downbeat. He wrote for Downbeat and he wrote a very uh, funny article apparently uh, which was about the club date business and this article was so funny that uh, Lenny Bruce got in touch with him. And Lenny Bruce knew my, my uncle quite my late uncle Red Mitchell quite well, but I don't believe he knew my dad personally. Anyway, they they touched base and Lenny Bruce told my dad that he was talented and he should go to Los Angeles and and, and write for television. Hmm. And he took that to heart. And it wasn't an, you know, an overnight thing, but pretty close to it. Uh, he bundled us all up from New York City, where we're from, and, uh, took us out to the west coast, to Los Angeles. And I think within about three months, uh, my dad had sold his first script, which was to a, uh, a very uh, funny uh, short lived TV series called My Mother the Car, which starred oh, yeah, Jerry Van Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> Love
1: Jerry Van Dyke.
0: Oh, he was great. So, anyway, that was my dad's, if you could call it his big break, that was it. And uh, then after that came his association with Get Smart. And, uh, you know, that was with Mel Brooks and all the marvelous, right. marvelous writers that worked on that show for so long
1: pretty outstanding writing there, too, as well. Um, so as a kid, who did you grow up with? What was the neighborhood like? Who were the
0: kids? Uh, well, in my neighborhood in, in, in New York in my early life, you know I grew up in a, a part of new york city that 's called Astoria, which is uh, essentially Greek and irish and it 's a long standing neighborhood, a family neighborhood uh, you know probably you would say working class maybe lower lower middle class but but a, a wide ethnicity and When I was a kid growing up, it was then starting to become maybe a little more latin oriented there have since been some big, uh, immigrations into Astoria there. But, um, in Los Angeles, we lived in a place called Sherman Oaks, which is in the San Fernando Valley. So I was a valley girl and, uh, that was far less ethnically mixed, especially at that time. Uh, so my neighborhood was pretty, uh, Uh, Well, I I went to school, even though we didn't have this fabulous income, I went to school with a lot of movie stars, kids. Uh, I was in a children's theater with Melanie Griffith. She was one of my uh, childhood buddies. So we were kind of uh, immediately sort of rubbing shoulders with uh, people in the the, uh, entertainment business.
1: Guess what my favorite Melanie Griffith movie is? Give it a try. Oh
0: boy, I'm. I'm (laughs) It's one of my favorite
1: movies. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm uh, Milk Money.
1: Cherry two thousand.
0: Well, I was close.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, I think it's a Uh, post-apocalyptic movie, and and um, she she's amazing, and actually, she's really good. Yes, she is. She is it's not that great of a movie but she's an amazing actor for that type of a movie and and uh it was probably a really big find for them at the time but yeah that's one of my my favorite movies so how did she, you i
0: think she's an actress anyway go how,
1: on. how did you get to canada well, or is that um, way
0: further I, in the future well that is way that is way farther in the future. I had a big, you know, well, I won't say big, but I had a consistent career out of Los Angeles working both as an actor and also I, I worked an awful lot as a singer and I took my, own band with me to japan like numerous times and working you know very nice gigs and you know elegant places so i had a whole lot of that that went on and um eventually i just decided that um all of that kind of uh what was, what's the word I should use? You know, I was, it was, it was all, you know, copying other people's material, right? I didn't write original songs. My band didn't do original material. It was all cover bands. And I just became, you know, really sick of it. And uh, I decided, well, I'm going to move to New York city and I'm going to just sing jazz, which is what I want to do. And uh, that's what I'm going to do. So I, I moved to New York, which I think was a pretty brave thing to do and uh i i was able to uh be a roommate with my dear friend sarah rice she had uh, a little a tiny little (laughs) tiny little pad uh in um uh you know very close to little italy anyway so uh we terry and i had many mutual friends in new york that's my husband terry and um In fact, it's a miracle we had never met before. We had so many mutual friends. But we met in New York, and he was there uh, as a Canadian living in New York City and working as a jazz drummer there. So my husband, Terry Clark, is a very – uh, renowned uh, jazz drummer internationally, he worked with everybody he 's very famous for working with Jim Hall and uh, you know many other people and he is the as far as I know the only uh, uh, jazz drummer in Canada to have received the Order of Canada, which is like being knighted so uh, well, it is being knighted it comes from the queen so so there you go. so I met Terry in New York, and uh, we had our our kids were born there We have two sons. And when they were very little, um, we decided that it was just a little too rough and ready down there, and uh, it required an awful lot of money just to have a middle class lifestyle. So we just, we already owned a home in Toronto, and so we decided to relocate here. And that was the best thing that we that we could have possibly done. It's it's been wonderful.
1: And you have hockey on every channel every night, almost every channel. Well. <laughs> I'm a hockey fan. I think that's a slight,
0: <laughs> well, we have plenty of hockey and we love it. It's, I think it's a slight exaggeration, but we certainly are, are, uh, you know, are behind it, that's for sure. But it's a, it's a wonderful uh, cultural, uh, mul- excuse me, wonderful multicultural uh, social democracy. You know, we have socialized medicine, it works beautifully, So there, and, and uh, we have a lot of uh, wonderful things about Canada.
1: I grew oh, up on, the yeah, I grew up on the Canadian border. And so I had kind of the best of both worlds. And um, oh. I, I grew up in an area that was, was uh, easy to grow up in. Um, not a lot of jobs there, but um, your, your little bit of an income went a long way. And, and we could, yeah. you know, come and go back then as we pleased back and forth anywhere to Canada and I did that often, and and even as a as a new driver in high school, you know, we used to drive back and forth, and we had friends up there, and and oh, uh, cool. they would come from time to time to visit us. So very nice people, a very nice um, culture, which is slightly different than ours, and and um, you know, it, it it felt different, and um, it was good, and and we felt that we were in a different place, and it was nice, kind of a little mini vacation when I was a kid, but yeah. Um, so well you, you're
0: an honorary Canadian. <laughs> I am kind of, yeah. I want to be
1: one. So and and you know, I thought that could always be a possibility that I could, you know, be there um later in life and probably will not ever do that, but you know, I'm within an hour of there all the time anyway, and and
0: oh yeah. Still get well, to go. Certainly.
1: Still get to go a lot. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um so back up a little bit, and you you had mentioned that uh you're an experiencer, 17 years old, right? Yes. And can you tell us about that?
0: I will, and you know, I I had to sort of you know come out about this. I discuss it extensively in 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 the book Intersections, but it's really the first time that I had spoken about it publicly. In fact, I hadn't even discussed it with my husband, which is amazing, but but true. Um, so I'm just going to set the stage a little bit um i was uh, i was barely 17 and i had a um i had a job as an actress working at a summerstock theater in the black hills of south dakota and as you probably know you know the black hills are our sacred uh, lakota land and uh all kinds of sightings and activities have always gone on in the Black Hills. It's a very, I don't know if there are PowerPoints there or what the deal is, but it's a very active area. So I was um, a member of this company, the Summerstock Theater, and there was a gal who was also in the company, and I can't reveal her name because she's, you know, she's still living and she wouldn't appreciate that, but she was a very talented gal. She had been uh, she had been a singer in Vegas and worked extensively in Vegas, and she also uh, was a horse rancher. Anyway, um, she told me when I first arrived something very remarkable. She told me that she was a very psychic person, and that seemed obvious to me, that I could tell. She was a psychic person, and she had been working for the U.S. government out of Vegas. They were flying her out to Area 51, you know, every day. And she was involved in a program of communicating telepathically with ETs. And the ETs that that she was communicating with were, were you know, I, I think this was part and parcel of the, you know, of the Roswell agreement, you know, Truman and... Uh, and um, Eisenhower's Roswell agreement. So these were gray aliens that she was, that she was communicating with. And, you know, after she told me all of this, um, on several occasions, when we were driving to the nearest town, you know, to go to a bar or whatever, and would be coming back, we would be followed literally by craft. And she would point it out and she'd say, well, there they are. And then, of course, you know, it would get larger and they would follow us. And it was it was extremely disturbing and, and even, you know, terrifying to me uh, at that point. But I really believed her because I had visual confirmation, you know, all the time now you know, her thing was she kept telling me she didn't want to be involved in the program anymore. So she said she was being bothered, not only by, you know, by the ETs themselves, but by, you know, government people. And it sounded a little paranoid to me, but, you know, I accepted that. So one afternoon, um, I was standing literally across from where our dorm was, our accommodations, and that's where we both lived. And I saw a... um a vehicle pull up. I could only describe it as a uh, sort of an anachronistic, uh, um, older than it should have been vehicle. This would have been this would have been 1973, okay? Mm-hmm. So this sort of mid 60s like giant, Chrysler black Chrysler Imperial or something like that pulled up. And then uh, and that in itself was, of course, ridiculously unusual because we were right in the middle of Custer State Park. You know, you didn't just go there unless you were coming to see a play. So out of this vehicle um, stepped two guys. They weren't particularly tall. And one thing I'll tell you about them, Cam, that I can remember this so vividly, they're their Their pants were too short; they were wearing suits like dark suits, dark hat, like you know again anachronistic, mm-hmm. and they had on shoes that looked kind of almost like work Oxford's or something, and white socks, and their pants were too short so why I remember that i don 't know anyway, I saw them go into her uh, you know, into her area where she where her room was, and then they came out and you know, I asked her about it later and she said, well, they're just, you know, trying to convince me to get back in the program and, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do it. So some short time after all of that, maybe about the middle of the summer, um, I had an incident where um, I was, um, I was, I had, I had a boyfriend. I was staying with my boyfriend in, in, in his room, actually. And somewhere in the middle of the night, I'm going to estimate it was about 3 a.m., but I don't honestly know. There was a incredibly loud, now loud is the wrong word. There was a strong vibration, a low end like 10 cycle sound vibration that was so dynamic that it, it awakened me. It was as if the whole room, the whole structure were were vibrating. And then um, the whole room filled with light. And it was a blue light. And not only was it a blue light but the, the atmosphere seemed to change as far as like the, the viscosity of the air and this is a, it felt like maybe a little bit like a, an awful lot of humidity you know it's, it's the whole the whole atmosphere began to change and i was trying to wake up my boyfriend i was shaking him i was yelling at him wake up wake up nothing nothing and then that's the last thing i remember in that segment I assume it was just unconsciousness, but I was sitting up and trying to awaken my boyfriend and the next thing, I assume that I'm out. So, So the morning arrives and I wake up and I have a terrible lower abdominal pain. Uh, like a, you know in it may be in the uterus, but just lower abdominal pain, like terrible. And um, I also noticed that that my nightgown is on backwards. And so uh, in this in this like theater camp, we had a we had a like a bathhouse, and we had to you know we had to walk there. And so uh, <laughs> so uh, as I was walking up to the bathhouse. Um, I, I noticed that, you know, I was in terrible pain and I had a lot of, and I had a lot of blood running down my leg. Now, this was not, if I may be so frank, this was not a menstrual, uh, you know, situation. Uh, this was, this was something else. And I later, you know, had to be taken to the doctor and, um, and the doctor said to me, you have, um, oh, God, it's not dysplasia." He said, you have cervical erosion. And I said, you know, I'm 17 years old. I'm practically a virgin. What is cervical erosion? And he said, well, we only see it when women have had multiple babies, multiple pregnancies. It's where the interior lining of the cervix pooches out. That's why it happens. And, you know, I was, obviously, I was mystified and horrified, and there were some other, you know, physical repercussions, which, you know, are not really that relevant to this story, but the fact remains that 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 something very profound happened to me, or had been happening to me all summer, and um, I... You know, I am allowing myself to think that it most likely had to do with um, obtaining genetic material.
1: Did you go through regression therapy for that?
0: I did not. This was so long ago. Uh, This occurred, you know, as I said, in 1973. And uh, that's something that I would probably do now, uh, oddly, you know. But I've, I've only recently... Uh, remembered, the, re-remembered the conscious parts of it. And I'm kind of of the opinion, after doing all of this work and in, in memory and missing time and what have you, I am kind of of the opinion that certain memories are time-dated, if you will, and that they begin to come to the surface, possibly either when the individual is ready to know about them, or maybe, it, maybe uh, memory repression that's done by an ET uh, culture or even by perhaps a government ET program, maybe it's imperfect. Maybe there is no such thing as completely eradicating memories. Uh, in any event, uh, we have tremendous success in, uh, in allowing these individuals who have experienced these events of high strangeness to put together the missing pieces and begin to understand their lives
1: you've heard um, accounts extraterrestrial accounts, abduction accounts from people who have and and I'm talking about just in general you know I've heard these accounts to myself and I'm not a hypnotherapist or any kind of regression therapist, but there are people. Who have an account or an experience and um 20 years later they're driving down the road and and something triggers a memory any idea any idea what happens there
0: well with that that individual there well there you have again an example of a memory bubbling up to the surface significantly enough that it enters the conscious mind and and you know that can happen uh the memory can work like that. It can be triggered by a uh, seemingly random event or repetitive event. And uh, and so in answer to, to your question, many of the people who come to see me are having a lot of recovered memory in just that same way that you describe, where they'll be doing a, you know, normal activity. You know, they could be with... People they could not be with people, and something about that activity maybe it is even driving at the woods, but it it, it becomes a trigger where they then are allowed to you know receive some of this memory consciously. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. Can you explain how you, as a hypnotherapist, would guide an abductee or an experiencer in in a positive direction after maybe they had a very negative experience and and are traumatized by that?
0: Okay. Well, firstly, I I, I must say that contrary, you know, to the work of David Jacobs and 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 some other individuals, the vast majority of people that I work with have. Positive experiences. Uh, also, the vast majority of people that I work with are lifelong experiencers. Their experiences— their experiences generally begin, you know, around the age of three or so. And um, and so these these individuals are very special people. Uh, I would also say that the vast majority of them, or or all of them, have. Um, higher than normal uh, psychic abilities, telepathic abilities, abilities to bi-locate, all of those kinds of things. These people just seem to have you know, in abundance naturally. But when someone comes to me, of course, as you can imagine, um, not everybody that comes to me is mentally stable and has actually had these types of experiences. I have to be able to determine uh, when someone is having a mental health issue and then direct them to the right practitioner. Uh, So because as a hypnotherapist, even as a a psychiatric technician in the States, I can work with mentally ill people or people who have had a diagnosis of mental illness, but not in Canada. So if someone is having a dissociative event, uh, if they're confabulating, if they're in a manic state, any of those things, uh, my colleagues and I all will refer that person to a um, accepting uh, either a psychotherapist or psychiatrist. So the first thing that I do is I establish, um, and I do that partly by intuition, partly by taking an extensive medical history. I, you know, I am looking for any signs of you know, mental instability. So after I do that, then I generally, you know, have just a chat with the person and they will, you know, tell me about the parts of the things that they remember or, or, or things they remember in their entirety. You know, they will, they will talk to me about the reasons why they are now, you know, coming for some sort of help. So if all that, if all that goes positively, then I will have the person actually come to see me for a session. And in a hypnotherapy session, I should also say it is a very positive, very gentle uh, experience. So the person who comes to me always leaves feeling better uh, because along with the memory regression, we're also releasing stress. We're dealing with any uh, behavioral things the person wants to change. You know, it's a whole whole, – uh, sort of a uh, gestalt of the person that I'm dealing with. Um, now, when when we are working in regression, uh, the way that the way that I do it when working with an experiencer is first I get the individual into a nice, uh, satisfying trance. Now, uh, there are many, many levels of consciousness, uh, of course, but uh, for the sake of uh, hypnosis, we talk about six levels of trance. Now, levels five and six are quite deep. Uh, I usually bring people to those levels only if I'm doing some type of uh, palliative pain management or also in the case of of regression. And then what, what I generally do to sort of, limber up uh, the memory, if you will, is uh, I move around in that person's life a little bit and we move back and I have them tell me about happy events in their own life and we move around a little bit before I either go to maybe the earliest experience uh, that a person has had of high strangeness or I may go to an experience where someone has uh, a chunk of conscious memories, but not the whole picture. So it, it's an individual matter, like kind of where we go from that point. But I always uh, put the person into a relaxing, satisfying, deep trance that will allow that that little curtain, that little membrane that separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind, uh, that little membrane needs to dissolve. And uh, so that's what we do.
1: When you're meeting with a new client and um, they have had some trauma in their life and they can't quite put a finger on it, do you ever have to make a decision whether this has been a uh, past life issue or possibly an uh, alien abduction issue?
0: Well, you know, certainly, but I must tell you, I always go with, you know, the present life first. You know, I'm not going to jump to a conclusion uh, unless pretty much everything that I do to resolve an issue in dealing with the, the current uh, temporal life, uh, <laughs> uh, unless that doesn't work, then I will go, you know, further to the next level. But most of the time, you know, most of the time what people come to me with is is, is uh, fairly easily located and resolved. And it's... Um, most often from their present-time life
1: so are these people exhibiting physical symptoms that are that are causing them issue or is it more of a I'm wondering about this type of a situation um is there is there um, is there physical symptoms that you can identify
0: are are you speaking of experienced yourself absolutely yes well I'm telling you, the people that I work with have some astonishing scars and marks that have very uh, no known uh, association to any injury or trauma or medical procedure. Uh, sometimes they look like triangles. Sometimes they are they are linear, like long lines. I have you name it. I have seen it, and uh, the individuals that I work with have absolutely no memory of, you know, how these things occur. They just go to bed and they wake up and they have all kinds of, you know, demarcations. Um, You know, Wes Roberts uh, from my book, his, uh, (laughs) you know, he has had all kinds of, all kinds of marks. I remember, um, oh, I don't know if I still have a picture, but some years ago, he sent me a picture of several triangles on his that were just, you know, red in color as if it was maybe some kind of sunburn or something. But, you know, it didn't seem to have any particular effect on anything. You know, they just woke up with these marks. Now, um, what I think is going on a lot of the time here is I think that uh, individuals um, are, in fact, receiving upgrades or, or like, Step up transformers. I think they are receiving maybe nano hardware or other, uh, you know, what we would think of as futuristic developments to, uh, to increase their PSI factor, their telepathic ability, their maybe even their telekinetic skills. I think that's what's going on.
1: Nonetheless, that these these folks have to actually endure some sort of procedure when they're away. Um, have any of them described any of that in detail?
0: Some of them have, and what we what we are seeming to find is the individuals that experience these things are far less, uh, you know, victims than than you would think. In other words, they seem to have relationships once you get in there and get into the you know the whole nuts and bolts of the experience how long it's been going on who's involved are there uh, what kind of beings are you uh, are you um, uh, interchanging with you know it's it's once you once you get in there uh, generally the individual finds out that they have taken a responsibility that they are involved in a project and what the project seems to be on many of these encounters is a general raising of the awareness of mankind.
1: Any idea what that would be for?
0: Well, I, I kind of think that if we don't do it, we're going we're gonna to blow the fuck out of ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I kind of think that we are at a really incredible turning point right now. Uh, uh either either violence and hatred and and uh and 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 poverty and desperation wins or love and compassion and and care for the people and children of this planet and for the planet itself wins you know we are polarized now
1: yeah i agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. and being that we're incapable it seems to of doing that ourselves in and the last 2,000 years certainly is a testament to that. I think that uh, we could take any help that we can get. Um, can anyone yes, be hypnotized? I, if they come in to see you, can anyone be hypnotized?
0: You know, I, what, we, what we generally say is every person who is psychologically normal can be hypnotized. Now, when someone comes to me, say, for, I don't know, something like smoking cigarettes or weight loss or or a phobia, I don't need to get them into the deep types of trances that, that are required for doing regression work. I only need to get someone to what we call level three. And I'll, I'll ask you, have you ever had um, an experience where you're driving your car from point A to point B and you're thinking about stuff, right? And you arrive at your destination and you don't have a, a, a clear memory of how you got there has, has that ever happened to you
1: I think you just <laughs> I think you just described my whole entire life including driving but
0: <laughs> but yeah
1: absolutely
0: well that is we actually call that driving hypnosis and it is level three so that is actually as deep as you need to be to receive and embody hypnotic suggestions. So, and that's just really, it's really just a deep state of relaxation. So I have had almost no occasions where I couldn't get somebody into a state of relaxation that was deep enough for them to receive suggestions. And of course, as somebody works with me, you know, then, then the second time they come, they're not even thinking about, can I be hypnotized? And they just go right in. So, so even if someone has their trepidations and is a little anxious and what have you, the first time they see me, uh, subsequent visits are always easier, and then the trances get deeper.
1: Is hypnosis a therapy um, becoming mainstream? Are you getting referrals from mainstream physicians and therapists?
0: Well, I I always get referrals from medical doctors for uh, things like uh, uh, insomnia. Uh, any kind of uh, any kind of drug addiction issue, we can turn people right off to whatever it is that they're abusing. Um, uh, weight loss, um, uh, maybe maybe they have some repetitive habit of a scratching, you nail biting, you name it. So we do get referrals from from doctors, from medical doctors, all the time. I think the thing that is difficult and now i'm going to speak briefly about the canadian system but in our socialized medicine which is done province by province but in ontario where where i live at one time our national our provincial health insurance covered things like chiropractic um you know massage therapy things that hypnosis things that they know help people but as the whole as money became tighter and the whole uh, uh, what they covered shrank, now we don't have uh, insurance coverage for for hypnotherapy. So in that sense, uh, you know, and, and sadly, uh, it, it becomes almost elitist because it's it's like acupuncture. You have it's one of those things that uh, I think probably in the states they do have insurances that cover supplemental treatments. In fact I know they do, but we don't have anything like that here in Canada. So uh, but I do my very best to make to make whatever I'm doing affordable for the person that I'm working with. I have a whole, you know, sliding scale. So I do my best to make it work.
1: Forgive me if I get this wrong, but let's just take I, I know that insomnia is not a simple problem. But, um, if we took a, if we took a problem like insomnia, um, what are you actually doing for the patient? Um, are you reprogramming the brain or retraining them to, to sleep? How does that work?:
0: Yes, I am. I'm actually shutting down old neural pathways of behavior that don't work and creating new neural pathways, and that, that happens in every uh, hypnosis process. Now, as you said, Um, You know, uh, insomnia, is it it can be very complex. Now, the two big types are if a person has trouble getting to sleep initially. And uh, that one is harder to deal with, and I don't know why, but it is. Because that person that has trouble falling asleep initially really believes they're not going to sleep. So you have to go to uh, elaborate lengths to get their subconscious to accept that they can sleep. So yes, what we're doing what we're doing in a sleep and an in insomnia process is I will be using uh, progressive relaxation. In other words, I will be relaxing each muscle group from the top of their head to the tips of their toes. So I am getting that person into an extended, deep and really pleasurable state of relaxation. And then I may tell their subconscious mind to release uh, the chemicals for sleeping like melatonin and dopamine. I may even, if the person is visual, if they're a visual processor, I may even have them visualize their pineal gland releasing melatonin into the body. And so that those kinds of things are what I do for people who have trouble sleeping initially. I will also have them get on some kind of a routine before they even get to bed. And I will give them post-hypnotic suggestions and triggers that will make them sleepy as soon as they see their bed. So I do all kinds of stuff like that. Now, for the person who is wakeful, who wakes up periodically, that is generally a stress-related response. And, And what is happening there is um, the person, the individual, is so overwhelmed with stressors that they are not passing out of REM sleep into their deep sleep stages. So not only are they wakeful because they're very close to being awake, they're just in REM, but they're also not getting the deep sleep that that the human body and, and, and mind and spirit require to carry on, the deep sleep. And uh, in that deep sleep, we also have profound dreams, and that's only a recent discovery. Uh, it used to be thought that dreams only occurred during the REM state. Well, that is not true. The kind of dreams that we have in REM sleep are tend to be more disturbing because they're about releasing trauma and stress.
1: Interesting. How many sessions do you usually see a person for for a regression therapy?
0: Well, it you know it it depends very much on what the person wants to uh, achieve. Most people who have past life regressions uh, will come one time, and I try if we have enough time because I can only keep the person under about an hour with good good uh, medical practice. So uh, I try to um, bring them to three different lifetimes. And always, you know we use the suggestion of you know that that the person should uh, know about or hear about the lifetimes that are most applicable to this current life, so that they get a profound insight and message, either about repetitive negative behavior, about why they feel certain ways. Uh, maybe maybe they experience um, uh, recognizing family members or a partner. So for past life regression, it's usually a one-time thing, but people will also uh, come see me for interlife regression, which is really fascinating. That is an exploration of the life between lives. In other words, it's all about where we were and what we thought and what we did and what our reasons were for coming into this physical lifetime.
1: Do some abductees have something in common something that when they walk into your office, you can recognize that immediately?
0: I Think so I do think so I they have they have something extra they have a Luminousness about them that I have come to be sensitive to and of course they experience many of the same things you know the missing time uh, the uh the, the the sleep uh the sleep disturbances the nightmares the uh you know they have uh, the marks on the body you know they 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 share all of these things that that they that they live with but yes they they do have a certain thing about them now i i should probably you know i as i said most people have positive experiences um, i also work with a number of individuals, and this gets them a little controversial, but I work with a number of individuals who are in what I would have to call the secret space program, or, or have been in it rather. Forgive me, have been. And uh, this is this is a kind of a this is a kind of a thing that went on, I believe, beginning in the 1950s with reverse engineered technology. Uh, I believe it was under it began under the. Um, um, uh, The uh, the Eisenhower administration and the Truman administration, as I mentioned, and I think with reverse engineering, we have developed a parallel space program. I believe that we have had bases on the on Mars and on the Moon for a very long time, and that many many individuals have been inducted into you know the Mars Defense Force and the Earth Defense Force force and other similar black ops um, operations. And both men and women are involved in these kinds of things. And this is where I see the most trauma. This is where I see the most emotional damage. This is where I hear, you know, terrible stories of, you know, uh, people using a variety of techniques trying to fracture the personality. I mean, the worst possible things that I have ever heard have been in relation to what human beings are doing to each other.
1: How did you meet Wes Roberts?
0: Well, Wes actually was kind of a friend of a friend. He was referred to me because uh, even, you know, like 12 years ago or so, I was uh, beginning to be involved in working with experiencers. And uh, he was... Uh, referred to me and it took me a while to get him, you know, to come in and see me. He was uh, extremely, uh, I would say, mistrustful, uh, shy, uh, reticent. Um, So we had several, several phone conversations before he finally came to see me at my treatment space.
1: I did listen to you with him a couple of times and yeah, he does seem very, very shy. Um, you know, even though he speaks very well, um, with you, it just, there's that little edge that you can tell that there's, there's that as well. Um, you and Wes have, again, have authored the book, intersections, a true story of extraterrestrial contact. And you have the book launch that's coming up on the 15th of August. Um, tell me about Wes's experience.
0: Well, Wes is one of those people who is, in fact, a lifelong experiencer, and he also has people within his family group, other people who have had experiences. So I, I have no doubt that there's some genetic reason why you know they have interest in him. Now his his uh, interactions. Are, are most of the time not with grays at all, but he interacts with beings that are, uh, I suppose you would maybe call them tall whites. They're very, very slender, very tall. Uh, there aren't a lot of different definitions between the females and the males as far as the women are tall and the women have, uh, uh, you know, platinum, like kind of a platinum blonde hair. So he the, he has mostly interacted with, with a specific group of beings and this has been going on since he was a tiny tiny little boy and uh when he did finally come to see me i think i think he was at the place where he really was doubted his own sanity he was uh incredibly nervous he couldn't sleep there was no sleeping going on like at all so um you know, there you go. Uh, that was one of the first things that we did. Is I helped him to make an agreement with the beings, where he would do whatever was necessary uh, on the weekend, but during the week he had to have he had to sleep at night, and it actually worked.
1: So, do you still feel that this is, uh, or I, actually, I shouldn't put it this way. Do you feel that this is a violation? I mean, a violation of our of our space, personal space, a violation, pretty much of everything, because um, these beings seemingly take some of us against our will. Was that the case with Wes? Uh,
0: not, not so much. Wes really has come to understand that he's a participant. But what you're what you're talking about, there were, again, we have to go back to the agreement with the that that was made by Truman. And uh, what, what I understand, and, of course, this was greatly explored in, in, of course, Corso's book, The Day After Roswell, many other books, um, the agreement seemed to contain uh, the idea that we would receive, we being the United States, of course, would receive uh, a lot of uh, technology that would help us to win the space race and all the rest of it. So we were going to receive technology, and in exchange these particular group of greys were going to be allowed to abduct people for the sake of genetic engineering. Now, a lot of this did go on. You have the case of the Barney Hill. There are you know, endless cases from the 50s and 60s that, that embrace this barbaric uh, uh, invasion and abduction. I call those abductions. Absolutely. Now, as I understand it, and I was just discussing this with Richard Dolan the other day, you know, the, the apparently this agreement made by Truman and Eisenhower is finally done. and has been done for a while. So there aren't going to be any more of those types of aggressive abductions and examinations for the purpose of harvesting DNA, if that's what was going on. And you know, there may even, Cam, I, I I even really think, from what I've heard, that there is a kind of a Gene Roddenberry esque um, federation of planets, and and most of the beings that we are engaging with are are positive and forward thinking and are really just you know trying to help and at the same time trying to prevent us from using nuclear technology, it, it, you know, in a in, in a, uh, improper way.
1: You and Wes were gradually able to recover his, some of his, um, memories. Um, how was that for Wes? I mean, after that, that came out and he was able to recall some of these things that he struggled with for such a long time, was there an improvement? Yes. Then?
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, what I would say is knowledge is power. End of story. Knowledge is power. And when these memories, whether you accept that they, you know, that they bubble up uh, on their own uh, in a time gated way, or whether we have to go in and get them, whatever it is, when these memories are are looked at, and uh, we can look at them in a way that makes makes the client an observer, so they don't emotionally have to experience pain or fear or anything like that. That's that's how we do it. But at any rate. These memories can be recalled, they can be processed, and they can be integrated. And therefore, what you start to do is you start to empower the person. They believe in their, they understand that they are sane people who have had unusual experiences. And um, it, it's really a beautiful transferna- transformation to witness when I work with people that come from a place of fear and, and the unknown and sometimes panic and paranoia.
1: There's something called sleep paralysis, and I know you're familiar with that, but one I want to ask is a little different. Sleep paralysis can um, render somebody conscious, but they're unable to move. Are aliens using that against us? Are they able to trigger that in order to manipulate or, or get information or whatever they need to do with us? Are they using that part of our body in their favor?
0: I think they do. I think, I think they can turn on, I think for any kind of pain management, they can turn on our endorphin supply and direct it. I think that they have, they have a kind of a, I don't know if it's, if it's a hypnotic technique, it's a mind control technique, I'm not sure what it is, but I really do think that that is the case, that they use our own body chemistry to either conk us out, or, or, you know, keep us from moving. Now, now it's not perfect, as you know, because some people, um, have awakened before, while their body is still paralyzed. And I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, sleep paralysis. I'm talking about in the abduction experience. Sometimes people wake up before they're supposed to. And, uh, and they're, and they're still under the influence of the, uh, of the, you know, narcotic that has uh, that has caused a disruption between their neurological system and their brain
1: and at that point that can make that situation remarkably worse isn't that true i mean as far as as far as what their perception would be
0: yeah it it can be it it usually causes a a, quite a terrifying experience where either either the person is just paralyzed and they're afraid or they see beings leaving or you know i mean it can it's it, it's it's never pleasant when someone is wakeful. Sometimes the beings put them back to sleep, you know that that people become so agitated when they when they uh, when they wake up in that in-between state that they're they're put back to sleep and then they wake up normally later
1: so over the years, you've seen a lot of stuff, and we'll put it that way, but you hear a lot of accounts that uh, are disturbing and you see your your patients as they react to pain how how does that really affect the way you do your do- job do abduction therapists need therapy because of the job
0: well that is a very very interesting question because sometimes i am deeply shaken by some of the things that i hear particularly if there is any element of cruelty or pain, or, you know, if I'm dealing with something, yes, yes. Uh, so I tell you what I do, I just try to keep, uh, you know, good spiritual hygiene. I'm a meditator, I've been a transcendental meditator for 40 years, so I meditate twice a day. I cleanse my face spiritually, you know, with, uh, you know, sweet grass or, or sage or whatever. Um, I also, before I work with anyone in, um, in any kind of, um, regression, we do uh, a kind of a white light cleansing. And so I'm, I'm very, uh, I do all of that so that I can stay always in the light, in the positive space. And I can bring the person to the positive space, no matter what, you know, what they seem to be remembering.
1: If people feel that they've had an experience that would require them to seek help, the help that you give, what do they do to find it in the United States and what do they do to find it in Canada?
0: Well, we have many practitioners across the United States and across Canada that work in this specific area. I would say a good place to start, if you are in the United States, would be with MUFON, the organization, the Mutual UFO Network. Um, I am a member of what they call the Experiencer Research Program, which is nationwide. So uh, no doubt they could connect you to that program and find someone for you in your region. So I would recommend that. Uh, for um, uh, if you're in the states, if you're in Canada, and um, I I would not only uh, recommend on Canada, which is MoveOn.ca, but uh, there is also an organi- organization called TESA, the Experiencer Support Association, and they also have practitioners like myself who are you know who are on staff to to work with people who have had uh, who have had experiences. So, and, and if all else fails, if you're having trouble finding someone or getting, you know, hooked up with the right person, you can always reach out to me and you can do so simply by emailing Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at lightworkhypnosis.com.
1: Leslie Mitchell Clark, thank you for being awesome. And I really want you back again. I'd also like to give you tonight's final word.
0: The final word is compassion. That's the final word. And we must remember that people who have had extraordinary experiences deserve our compassion, not our ridicule. So that's my that's my word.
1: My guest has been Leslie Mitchell Clark. Leslie, thank you again so much for being here.
0: Thank you so much and I would love to come back anytime
1: you'll have me. Thank you so much. We'll do it. Good
0: night. My Alien Life Podcast.
1: You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com and please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records.